Hi, everybody, and welcome to Martin Bandike Undercovers, produced in partnership with the Ann Arbor District Library. This month's interview is with Steve Leto about his new book, Preston Tucker and his battle to build the car of tomorrow. After World War II, the American automobile industry was reeling. Having spent years building tanks and airplanes for the Army, the car companies would need years more to retool their production to meet the demands of the American public for whom they had not made any cars since 1942. And then in stepped Preston Tucker. This salesman extraordinaire from Ypsilanti, Michigan, had built race cars before the war and had designed prototypes for the military during it. Now, Gathering a group of automotive designers, engineers, and promoters, he announced the creation of a revolutionary new car, the Tucker 48, the first car in almost a decade to be built fresh from the ground up. Tucker's car would include ingenious advances in design and engineering that other cars could not match. But as the public eagerly awaited Tucker's car of tomorrow, powerful forces in Washington were trying to bring him down. An SEC commissioner with close ties to Detroit's big three automakers deliberately leaked information about an investigation the agency was conducting, suggesting that Tucker was bilking investors with a massive fraud scheme. In fact, the Tucker 48 sedan was genuine, and everyone who saw it was impressed by what this upstart car maker had achieved. But the Security and Exchange Commission's investigation had compounded the company's financial problems and management conflicts, and a superior product was not enough to keep Tucker's dream afloat. In his new book about Preston Tucker, author Steve Lato tackles the story of the automaker's incredible rise and tragic fall, relying on a huge trove of documents that have not been used by any other writer to date. It is, in fact, the first comprehensive authoritative account of Preston Tucker's magnificent car and his battles with the government. In my recent interview with author Steve Leto, I asked him why he decided to write a book about Preston Tucker. Well, I've always been fascinated by cars, and, and, and the Tucker story is amazing. And, you know, he built 51 cars, and if you see them, they're usually in museums or in big collections, and they're very, very rare. And someone had mentioned to me that there'd never been a book about him. Now, there's the movie about him. I mean, we've all seen the movie, but I, I was surprised that nobody had written a recent biography, like a complete story on Preston Tucker. And for those who perhaps have not seen the movie by Francis Ford Coppola, who was Preston Tucker? Who was this guy? Preston Tucker was a guy from Michigan who was into cars. He was born in Capac, Michigan, but he spent most of his time in the Ypsilanti or Lincoln Park areas, and he loved cars. He spent a lot of time in Indianapolis watching the car races and spending time in the pits, but he sold cars. He was a consummate salesman. He could sell anything to anybody, and he was routinely the best car salesman at the dealership he was at, promoted to manager, regional manager. I mean, just an amazing car salesman. And during the war, the uh, government shut down the auto industry and told them to start building munitions. So no cars were built for two or three years during the war. So when the war ended, there was a car shortage in America. 
And Preston Tucker recognized, you know, what better time to start a car company than now? So he announced he's going to start his own car company, build his own car from the ground up. It was going to be a better looking car, a safer car, uh, an affordable car, something that appealed to Americans. And he got so much publicity when he announced this that he managed to raise $20 million from investors in the 1940s. And he started a car company. And, you know, uh, prior to starting his car company, he'd never built a car, but he had sold a lot of cars. And he, as you mentioned, he, he's got a lot of roots in Ypsilanti, spent, spent many years in Ypsilanti, not far from us in yeah. Ann Arbor. And, and the house that he lived in is still there. Um, and believe it or not, on the property, the, the, there was a building behind the house that's not there anymore, but he actually had a, a facility there, a machine shop. And during the war, he actually made stuff for the U.S. government for various suppliers. He was a, a part supplier. Uh, and so every morning he would get up and, and, and walk out back and go into his machine shop and he had employees and they're making stuff there. If you go there today, the house is still there. So why are we not driving Tucker automobiles here in 2016? There were some in, in very important innovations that he put into this car and yet he didn't even end up making 60 of these automobiles. And it, it just it, it's ultimately a really sad and tragic story. What all happened, Steve? Well, one of the things about being a a lightning rod for publicity (laughs) is you get attention from a lot of people and not all of them like you. And we don't know exactly why. And this is the the sad part is I can't answer the question why. But a guy named Harry McDonald at the Securities and Exchange Commission decided to focus on Tucker. And he started an investigation into Tucker and his enterprise. And this investigation, uh, basically, they shut down his factory to investigate it. And when the investigation was done, they leaked the results to the press. And the Detroit News, Free Press, all the major newspapers basically had headlines about Tucker fraud alleged by SEC. But all anyone knows is Tucker fraud. And so um, his investors, uh, their stocks uh, dropped in value. His suppliers would no longer you know, extend him credit. He couldn't borrow money from anybody. And there was a clamor at that point, well, if, if he's committed fraud, prosecute him. So they prosecuted Tucker and his entire, you know, basically his board of directors uh, in Chicago. They put him on trial in federal court for fraud. And they were all found not guilty of all charges. But while the trial was dragging on, the factory got shut down and the company got forced into bankruptcy. After seeing the film Tucker, which, as I recall, and I haven't seen the film since it first came out in when, the, the mid to late 80s, yeah. is that? But I, I seem to remember walking out of that film at thinking, he's this genius who was wronged and he was doing everything right and the government and the big three are the bad guys. But reading your book, this guy did a lot of really sh- shady, unprofessional things. And he didn't really know what he was doing, did he, in terms of being a, a real marketer. He, he was he was just groping and grasping for straws to get this car company off the ground. Is that correct? Kind of, yeah. Tucker was, Tucker was not a bad guy, okay? And so it's very, very important to remember the distinction. The government accused him of fraud and said that he set out to defraud investors and never intended on building a car. But during the trial, it became clear they intended to build cars. In fact, they built 51 cars. The cars drive. They're still around today. In fact, if you can find one today, it's worth about 2 or $3 million. Wow. But he was not a very good automobile executive, okay? He had a lot of good ideas. He was a great salesman, a great promoter, and he wanted to build cars. He was trying to build cars, and in fact, he built some cars. 
But it became very clear during the trial that the company was mismanaged, not criminally mismanaged, but it was just simply mismanaged. He didn't know what he, you know, what was needed to run an enterprise that large to build cars. I mean, trying to compete with General Motors in 1948 or 49, it's not something a guy off the street can just do. And that was his problem. He was in over his head. There was a, a radio host who was pretty instrumental in, in, in the demise of Preston Tucker's uh, auto company, this guy by the name of Drew Pearson. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about this man. Drew Pearson was a muckraker, and, and you know there, there aren't really muckrakers around today. It's a lost profession, I guess. But Drew Pearson was a guy uh, based in Washington, D.C., who had a, a, for lack of a better word, a, a, a political gossip radio show where he'd come on the air and, and, he would, and he would talk about things happening in the news, and he often had scoops. And one night he went on the air and said, by the way, the uh, the uh, government is investigating Preston Tucker and they're going to blow the, the roof off that operation over there. And he talked about it as if it was a done deal. And the investigation had just started. They hadn't found anything. But Drew Pearson's show was syndicated nationally, heard by millions of people, and he had a syndicated newspaper column. So if you didn't hear his show, you read his show. And so within 24 hours, Tucker was done. And it was all because of Drew Pearson announcing on his show, yes, this government investigation is going to prove that he's a fraud. Steve, talk about the media unveiling, the original unveiling of the Tucker automobile. And you write so well about what was going on, the complete chaos that was going on behind the scenes as they were trying to get this prototype ready for this big media event. Take, take us to this event. What, what year is this that we're talking about? Well, in 1947, it, the, the media attention on Tucker was huge. I mean, everyone knew about Tucker, and he had said he was going to launch this new car. And he went and spoke to some stock underwriters and said, if I were to launch you know, something and, and try to raise money with an, initial, you know, an IPO, what do I need? And they said, well, you need to have a car. You, you can't you know, raise money to build cars unless you have a car. So he said, oh, okay. So he went back to his factory and talked to his guys and said, build me a prototype. And he gave them an impossible deadline. And he said, here's the date I need it by. And then he announced to the press, here's the day I'm going to unveil it. So he had a team of guys racing to put this prototype together. They had told him it was impossible, but, but they had to do it because thousands of people were coming out to the factory to see the unveiling. And the unveiling became this huge gala event where, you know, the press was there. There was crowds of people there. He had a stage and, and, and a, you know, an honor guard from the Marines and, you know, a trumpet fanfare. And meanwhile, there's guys behind the curtain literally hammering out the last details of the car. And in fact, while they were getting ready to push it up on stage with minutes to go, several pieces in the suspension snapped. And they had to run back to the machine shop and re-machine some parts on the car. And then the engine that was in this car was an experimental engine of Tucker's own design. For those who are listening who know about cars, it had hydraulically operated valves, which is a nightmare. And so they could barely get this car running, and, and they were stalling as long as they could. They kept you know, having long-winded speeches, and they dragged it out to the point where finally they, you know, they, you know, Tucker got the word from behind stage, yes, it'll run, go. And so Tucker announced the car, they pulled back the curtains, and they drove this car up on stage, which, you know, half an hour earlier, they weren't sure it would run at all. And another thing about the, this this prototype, you usually 
people, engineers, make clay models first. That yeah. wasn't the case with this. Yeah, they, they skipped a major step in building the prototype because to build a prototype, ideally, you build a prototype so that you can make then the tooling to make the production car. And, and so there's usually a step involved where you, where you make a clay model, a full-size clay model of what you're going to be building. But building a clay model takes time, and Tucker didn't give these guys enough time. And so he brought in metal workers who basically made this thing out of sheet metal with their bare hands. And it was a rush project, but they, they accomplished it. In fact, the Tin Goose is still around today. It's in a museum today. I mean, it's, it's still there. It's a testament to what guys can do when they're very, very talented and under the gun. What were some of Tucker's ideas for his car that, that were innovative or perhaps things that we see in cars these days that, that he thought of first? Well, Tucker was pushing for the car to be safe. Now, his car does not have seat belts. He wanted to put seat belts in it, which would have been way ahead of the rest of the industry. But at that time, putting seat belts in cars was treated as an admission that the cars were dangerous. So he skipped that. But he, the car was, um, it had a padded dashboard, for instance. Go look at the dashboard in any 1947 or 1948 American car, and it's like jagged metal facing the driver, okay? He had a padded dashboard. Uh, The car had a pop-out windshield. So if you're in an accident, it was designed to pop out and go forward instead of shattering and, you know, sending glass into the passenger compartment. Uh, It was rear engine, rear-wheel drive which is a, a, a better idea if you are starting from scratch. Uh, he wanted to put fuel injection and disc brakes in the car, which he didn't have time to do, but he probably would have done in later years. And the car is most recognizable. It has a Cyclops headlight. Dead center between the two front headlights is a third headlight. And he thought that that would help you as you're driving down the road because, number one, it gives you more illumination. But also, it will turn with a steering wheel and illuminate as you go around corners. And now that's an idea that nobody has ever adopted. So the good news is that if you ever see a car with a Cyclops headlight, you know it's a Tucker. <laughs> you, you don't seem to come to an absolute conclusion in your book, but did the, did the big three try to – were they behind – getting rid of the Tucker so that it would never come to be? Were they were they afraid of this car? Tucker went to his grave convinced that the big three had pushed Homer Ferguson, who was a senator from Michigan, uh, had ties to the big three. He was convinced that Homer Ferguson was pulling the strings behind the scenes, but, but Tucker never actually had any evidence of it. And we know this because he later testified in a bunch of court cases. And, and so we don't know who exactly was behind it other than Harry McDonald at the SEC admitted, yes, I'm the one who leaked the reports to the press. Yes, I knew it was illegal, and I would do it again. And, and I never thought that was a good excuse to say, well, I know I'm breaking the law, but I would do it again. Hmm. Okay, so that makes you a repeat offender. I mean, I guess, yeah, you know. Yeah. But the point is that he said, well, I was trying to protect investors, which is ironic because the one thing it did was it destroyed the investors' investments because it drove the stock to almost zero. So Harry McDonald was the guy who pulled the trigger on Tucker. We just don't know if he's pushed to do it by Homer Ferguson or the big three. We don't know. Harry McDonald is also from Detroit, the guy who happened to be in charge of the SEC at that time. Mm -hmm. Tell us about the the man who writes the uh, foreword to your book. This is pretty cool. Well, Jay Leno wrote the foreword to this book, and he's actually written the foreword to another book I wrote about the Chrysler turbine car. And I met Jay back then because... Uh, Jay has a turbine car, which he was nice enough to let me drive. Now, when I was at Jay's facility in California, his garage, he calls it, and that's a euphemism because it's a lot bigger than a garage, uh, I was walking through there, and I noticed he didn't have a tucker. And I just, as a conversation starter, I said, Jay, do you have a tucker? And he said, no, but I've got a Tatra. And I said, what is a Tatra? And he explained to me there's this Czechoslovakian car called a Tatra, which was pre-war, 
And it has a lot of the same features as a Tucker. It's rear engine, rear wheel drive. It's shaped eerily similar. And and Jay said to me, he goes, yeah, I always, you know, Jay told me that he always thought that Tucker may have been inspired by the Tatra being a car guy. And he probably was. And so Jay agreed to write the forward for this book, even though he doesn't have a Tucker yet. Yet. <laughs> He's always acquiring cars. You never know. How much time did you spend uh, doing research on this book? And was there something that you discovered that you don't think anyone else has written about uh, oh, in terms of Preston Tucker's life? I know for a fact there's at least one thing, and that is because I spent a couple of years doing research, and there is a huge collection of documents uh, in the Tucker archives, but also a huge collection of documents in the National Archives in Chicago. And while researching there, I came across a an envelope that was sealed by court order. And it's cool to find something like this because it's got heavy-duty tape around it with big stamps on it that says, sealed pursuant to court order. You cannot open this envelope without being in contempt of court. So I engaged an attorney, and I'm already an attorney myself, but I engaged an attorney who specializes in bringing actions in federal court, had him file an action in federal court to unseal this document. Now, I didn't know what was in there. It was simply labeled as the transcript of Joseph Turnbull. But I knew who Joseph Turnbull was. Joseph Joseph Turnbull was the SEC accountant who was considered to be the key witness in the Tucker prosecution. And so what happened was after the prosecution fell apart and Tucker was exonerated, Tucker filed a lawsuit against several newspapers for defamation, libel, and that kind of thing. And they took the deposition of Joseph Turnbull. And at his deposition under oath, he testified and he backpedaled on everything, basically saying, you know something, I can't say Tucker did anything wrong. I can't say I found any irregularities. And it's very, very obvious that he was trying to insulate himself, trying to separate and distance himself from the prosecution. I think it became very clear that Turnbull never believed Tucker did anything wrong and that he'd been pushed by his superiors to say that he had. And years later, five, six years later, was saying, hey, look. I didn't see anything. I don't know anything. I'm sorry I'm even here. So I got that transcript unsealed. It was unseen by human eyes for 60 years. Wow, that's fascinating. Yeah. Do you think Tucker should have uh, been allowed to, to make his cars? I mean, he did, he did a little, he did a, more than a few things that were really, really unscrupulous. I mean, selling all of these accessories to the cars before the cars were even made. I mean, a lot of, a lot of this stuff was, was really, I mean, to my mind, flimflam stuff. Was he right being being put out of business? Well, you know, the flim flam stuff that you describe is actually not much worse than, than the flim, flim flam stuff that a lot of used car sellers use to sell cars. Okay. <laughs> okay. And and, uh-huh. and people have pointed out that like, you know, Elon Musk today is taking pre-orders for cars that won't be produced till next year. There's a company called Elio making a three-wheeled vehicle down south someplace, taking pre-orders for vehicles. They don't even have a delivery date. And so I've pointed out to people that what Tucker did, you know, 50, 60 years ago is no worse than what Elon Musk is doing, what Elio is doing. And, you know, I honestly believe that Tucker wanted to deliver the cars. He was planning on delivering the cars. If anything, he may have not been a competent car seller, but he certainly wasn't a crooked one. What sets him apart? Why did people like Henry Ford or Thomas Edison have these these careers that were so stellar and we still talk about them these days? And, and Preston Tucker is unfortunately this this footnote uh, in terms of an inventor and in automotive history. What did Mr. Edison, Mr. Ford had that uh, had that uh, Preston Tucker did not have? Well, Tucker got prosecuted by the full weight of the federal government, and that trial is what did him in. 
And in later years, Tucker pointed out that people like Henry Ford or Willis, who was another car maker, did fail in their first attempts at starting car companies. Not every car company you've heard of today was started and was an immediate success. There's often these these growing pains or hiccups where you, you start, you fail, you start again, raise some more money, you fail again. And so we won't know, we'll never know whether Tucker would have succeeded. But we look at Tucker and say, well, that's what might have been if he hadn't been shut down by the government. Final question, Steve, after uh, the Tucker automobile, uh, the whole concept of it was uh, no more. What, what happened to Preston Tucker in, in, his, uh, in his final days? Well, he moved back to Ypsilanti. He tried to start another car company. He actually started you know, designing a little sports car he was going to try to build, but he, he, he uh, contracted lung cancer. And he went to a couple doctors around here who basically said it's a death sentence. You know, back in the 1950s, you don't recover from lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And he actually started traveling back and forth to Brazil because there's someone in Brazil who was offering a, uh, a, an advanced treatment, which is actually probably a quack. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he succumbed to lung cancer and passed away and he's buried in, in uh, the Downriver area. But the house still stands in Ypsilanti. Where's it located? What street's it on? The house, I believe, is 110 Park Street, if my memory serves correctly. And it's a very large house, and it's still there, and it looks just like it did back in the day. Thanks for listening to Martin Van Dyke Undercovers and our interview with author Steve Leto about his new book, Preston Tucker and his battle to build the car of tomorrow. This has been a presentation of the Ann Arbor District Library. Whoa!